Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. From What Goes On Media, this is Backstage With, taking you behind the scenes with your favourite actors and creatives in the world of musical theatre. I'm Mikey Worrell. Today we're going backstage with Declan Bennett at the Union Theatre in Southwark, where he's starring in Striking 12. The Union Theatre was built in a railway arch, so you can hear the trains overhead every so often. It's not a big venue, so the cast all share one dressing room. There were tables along all of the walls, each with their own standing mirrors. I felt like I was in Act 2 of Gypsy. They have everything in there, a washing machine, a rail with all their costumes on, and a tap that, I'm reliably informed, winds in A-flat. Some of the cast arrived while Declan and I were talking, so towards the end, you can hear them desperately trying to be quiet while they get ready for the show. Here's our conversation. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. We're here at the Union Theatre. Thank you for the tea. You're more than welcome. Tell me about Striking 12. Striking 12 is this beaut of a little musical that I'm performing in right now here at the Union Theatre. It's kind of hard to describe. So it was, it's written by a band called the Groove Lilies who are a New York-based band, and they wrote this piece, they'd written, they wrote all the lyrics and all these, and, and these songs and all this music, and then Rachel, I'm not going to be able to pronounce her second name very well, Shankin, maybe, I should Good know. Good try. Thank you very much. Who wrote, like, uh, Spelling Bee and a bunch of different stuff. So she wrote the book, and then she got together and collaborated with the band. And they just wrote this really kind of punchy pop, slightly jazzy piece of of musical theatre that is about a guy called Brendan who I play it's New Year's Eve his fiance has just left him he's not having a very nice time at work and all of his friends are trying to get him to go out and he doesn't want to and then this girl who's selling light bulbs for people with seasonal affective disorder turns upon his doorstep trying to sell these light bulbs and he kind of shoes her away into the dark cold night on New Year's Eve. And subsequently then, she, she reminds him of the little match girl, which was a Hans Christian Andersen character story. So then he finds a copy of Hans Christian Andersen's little match girl and he starts to read it. And that's when Brennan, towards the end of the story, it's a very short story, as we mentioned in the play. Uh, he has a bit of a has a bit of a 360, and and his original Scrooge-like-ish ways start to change. In a nutshell, <laughs> it sounds like it's got echoes of Once meets a Christmas Carol. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess it has in in its own little way. What's nice about it is that there's a bunch of narrators in the piece who, and I think our version has been slightly formatted slightly differently to include uh, both more actors and more musicians because originally it was just the three of them it was just keys violin and drums and they sat behind their instruments and it was pieces it was a gig essentially with with text so it's definitely got the the kind of guitar you know the the actor muso thing that once had that follows um, you around a little bit doesn't it yeah it really does yeah i'm the go-to guitar guy i don't mind it's not a bad person to be no 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 not at all bring it on I'm quite happy. This is one of the smaller spaces that you've played in before. Is that weird for you? It's not weird. It's actually dead nice. I've never played a, a theatre of, of this size before. I think it's about 75 or something here. Last year when I did Kiss of the Spider Woman at the Chocolate Factory, that was one of the smaller things. But still, that's kind of about 170 or something. So yeah, this, this is definitely the smallest uh, space that I've worked in. 
but kind of ultimately the most satisfying there's something really satisfying about being in a really small space and also the show is so unique and so small our version is is completely designed for this small space venues are irrelevant to me if i if when when the when the script comes through or the and the songs come through and i and i take a listen to it the story is is key and if i want to tell that story i'll do it in front of two people no props when you're starting a run of something this this is a really short this is like five weeks isn't it do you approach it differently in a way that stops it being painful to let go of at the end? Good question. I don't approach it any differently. I'd say I approach them all with the same, hopefully, vigour if I really do care about the piece. There's definitely been parts of even just during this process. I love the music of this show so much. I think the music's wicked. And if you haven't listened to it, you should really get you know get yourself squirreling online and, and find the music to striking 12 because it's some of the best kind of pop music that I've heard in a long time so there's always an element of that where you think oh god it's a short run it's going to be a real shame to to let that go and not and not sing those songs anymore but then also when you're doing eight shows a week you, <laughs> after a few weeks you that that can start to dissipate and you're like no I'm good now I've, I've sang those songs plenty of times and it must be nice to be finishing just before Christmas it's absolutely adorable Love it. Yeah, well happy with that. Do you have concrete plans for your time off or are you like... Yeah, I'm going to go back home to Coventry. Yeah, see my mum and my brother, hang out with my nephews and yeah, it's going to be real nice. I mean, it feels kind of odd because the show is actually based, is set on New Year's Eve. So in my head, there was like, we, we've kind of missed a trick there. We should have really finished on New Year's Eve. Oh, that would have been great. Yeah. We'll come back and do like a one-off special, maybe next year. But, you know, having Christmas off. Yeah, totally. Cloud. Although it's, it's weird, isn't it? Christmas is such a, such a weird one. I remember when I was working in New York and I was doing American Idiot on Broadway and we did a show on Christmas Day. It was nice. the most random thing. It's not as much of a thing over there, is it? No. Because they've got Thanksgiving, so they're kind of... They've got of... Thanksgiving, yeah, and there's so many different cultures over there who don't celebrate Christmas. And so New York really, really doesn't sleep ever, even on Christmas Day. That must be surreal. Yeah. Let's go back to the beginning. You started out in youth theatre... Mm -hmm. What got you into that? I don't know. I wanted to be a journalist, weirdly, when I started senior school. And then I went to see Sister Act 2 at the cinema. And I remember seeing it and seeing Lauren and I was in these boys in this choir. And it kind of blew my mind. And I can well imagine that many people listening to this will have felt exactly the same. I've actually had people tell me that exact same story. It's the, we it's the weirdest thing. Is it thing. that bit where she's on the street and she's like, if you wake up in the morning oh, and the first thing you think oh, about is singing. Yeah. yeah. Then you're supposed to be a singer, girl. Totally. I mean, <laughs> it really, it really kind of changed my mind the next day when I went to school. And I'd marched up to the music block and I joined the choir. Amazing. Literally the next day. And it was me and 12 girls. And then subsequently, kind of most of my guy friends like broke friends with me because I joined the choir. So then I went through this like real turmoil of being like, I will not do this, but I've got no friends. And so set me on the path to just kind of go in, you know what, if this is something that I love and something that I want to do, who cares who doesn't like it? How did you find the production and the groups that you then joined? The big main theatre in Coventry is called the Belgrade, and they had a wicked youth theatre group that, that happened. I think it was about two, they met about two evenings a week, and then there was another, the youth theatre at the Belgrade was more, they did a musical every year, but they did a lot of plays. They did loads of devising, which I loved. So I really started to get my head into working on and creating our own pieces of theatre, which was really exciting when I was 14, and still is now. 
But the other one was very musical based. It's called Yog, which is, is still going. The youth operator group in Carve is still doing its rounds and, and is still alive today. And so once I, I had I had friends who were at school who were in both of those groups. And so through them, I just kind of got the got the bug really and, and started going and much to the annoyance of my mother probably I, I was doing theatre pretty much every day after school in one group or another that was going to be my next question what did your parents say when you went home and said I want to be an actor <laughs> they were really supportive they were really there they were great I was I, I was living with my mom, my my parents as well my brother was with my dad but they were both just you know I come from a very working class you know Irish family who who despite you know we didn't really have any airs or graces or, or big designs on, on becoming anything other than the people who had become before you. So it was, I think they just found it quite exciting and they just were like, yeah, you know, if, if you want to do it. And because I think I, I've shown an interest at such an early age and clearly was very determined, it wasn't a very, it wasn't just some kind of flippant like, oh, please buy me a, a guitar and I'm going to, you know, play it for three days and then never play it again. I was really it was kind of all I had which was probably weirdly a symptom of going back to not having friends because I I because I did I made a certain choice is it kind of freed me up to to kind of really dedicate most of my my time and I was constantly writing and constantly playing the guitar and constantly playing the piano and I, I was just this I just wanted to absorb as much as I possibly could do you feel like that was all meant to happen because if you hadn't gone to see Sister Act 2 that day, do you think it still would have happened? I really don't know. <laughs> it sounds so funny when you put it like that. If you hadn't gone to see Sister Act 2, you know, would you have had that Would you be sitting career? here right would now? Would I be sitting here right now? <laughs> Who knows, man? I mean, it, it, was, it, was a real, it was a real turning point. You know, if that hadn't have happened, I think I was still searching for... Your thing. For my thing, yeah. Which, like I said, I, th- I've, I thought that was in journalism and, and writing. I really, I really liked writing. That was my big, whatever form that took. And I express that now still through writing music and I'm writing my own piece of music theatre. And so, there's, so, so that, that seems to me to be the, the thing that, that continues to grow inside of me and, and I can see becoming a bigger, playing a bigger part in my life as well as performing. You made your West End debut in Taboo when you were 21. What was it like being in that show when all of this must have been so fresh? It was brilliant. I absolutely loved it. And it was cool because it was in the, what it was called the venue, wasn't it, back then? It's called, it's, what is it now, the Leicester Square Theatre or something? Oh, was it there? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's where it opened. So it was that's very, tiny, it's it? tiny, yeah. It was a purpose built, it used to be a ballroom and we rehearsed somewhere else and then well, oh no, we rehearsed in this ballroom for like two weeks and then they took us out to another rehearsal room for another two weeks and we got back and they transformed this ballroom into a 350-seat theatre. And it was mental. And I made such amazing friends in the, on, on that show. It was one of those shows that you start to, to kind of assume the lifestyle of the people that you're playing. So we had a very fun time doing Taboo. I can imagine. It was very fun. And what was it like playing opposite and working with Julian Clary and Boy George of all people. Brilliant. It was just, they're the coolest people ever. I'd never met any of them before. And yeah, I mean, I think I turned 21 when I did. So I think when I got the job, I was 20. Oh my God. Yeah. And I remember celebrating my 21st birthday not long after we opened. And George was amazing. And then I went on to kind of make music with George and and I went on tour with him and I opened for him on his UK tour. (laughs) 
and Matt Lucas became a really good friend and Julian became you know it, it was it was just one of those shows that these people were, were just coming in and, and taking the role of V Barry or whoever it was and obviously and people like Luke Evans you know who's a really good mate of mine who, whose career has just gone mental it's just it was just such a lovely a lovely time that I feel dead proud of and I feel quite I hate saying the word blessed I feel really blessed <laughs> But I do. I feel. I feel like this. There's not many of us in this business that that get to do certain shows like that that make such an impact on you as an actor and as a performer, but also just as a human being. What kind of reaction did that show get when you opened? Was it quite controversial, or did it get? Was it welcomed? It seemed to be welcomed. There was a little bit of, you know, I think we had a pre-start. I think it was when we did the tour that started to attract a bit more. You know, we had like religious groups outside protesting oh, yeah. and. Which seems weird now, but I guess it was 18 years ago. So the, the world was was different to what it is now. But I think for the most part, George fans loved it. The music was great. You know, the, the, I think the press really liked it. And obviously then it went to Broadway and, and it's, it's had a life and they revived it again. So yeah, I think, it's, I think it's a great, great piece. What a way to spend your early 20s. Oh my God, tell uh, me about it. How did you then end up touring America in Rent? I had a bit of a mad time. So I did Taboo and then I did the Taboo tour. And Pippa Alien was casting and that's kind of how all that came about and I did the, the UK tour of Taboo and I had to leave the tour because I got testicular cancer right in the middle of it. Oh my God. Yeah, so I went through this really awful, awful time where I was having panic attacks on stage and, and dealing with my mortality really at the age of 23 years old and it was really, it was a really terrifying time and I've never talked about this ever. <laughs> and so it was really, it was a really harrowing time for me. And, and I thought I, I had to, I had to leave the tour and they, they brought Luke back in. They were like, so we need to get somebody back in to kind of cover, cover Declan. And so, and I tried, I, I tried to go back on the tour and I just, I couldn't do it. And so I came off again. And so the next two years, I never went near the stage ever. And I thought I'm done. You know, I did that one show and I had a good time, but I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified of, of going back into into theatre because of what I'd experienced. And unbeknownst to me, I got a phone call one day from a casting director who had seen me in Taboo in London. And I think it was for like Avenue Q. Originally they were coming into town when Avenue Q came into town and they said, you know, we saw you in Taboo, you know, were you coming in an audition for this? And I didn't really know anything about Avenue Q, so I kind of just thought, okay, well, I'm, I was not. I was not expecting it. I didn't have an agent. I didn't. I got rid of everything to do with theatre. It was not going to be a part of my life anymore. And I just thought, okay, well, this opportunities came along. I went, I did this audition, and just felt like a bit of an idiot, really. And I left it and just thought, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I, I, I'm, I don't. If I, if I ever do theatre again, it has to be something that's gonna, you know, really knock me for six. And I, I, I just, I felt silly even being there. And so they called me and they said we want you to come for this recall and I was like no absolutely not and he said oh, okay well can you come in anyway and sing One Song Glory from Rent and I said why on earth would you want me to do that at an Avenue Q audition and he said because I'm one of the associate uh, casting and associate directors of Rent all over the world and then something in my brain and my head just went bing 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 Thought. So at this point, were you in remission? Had you? Were you yes. So clear? I was fine. I was clean. The cancer had gone. It was good. I was. I was. I was physically healthy, but mentally still 
not in a place so that I've... Were you at home for two years just... I went, back to Co- I went back to Coventry, yeah. I would come to London for a little bit and see friends, but for the most part, I was back up in Cobb, yeah. So anyway, I went into this Avenue Q recall and sang one song, Glory from Rent. <laughs> and three weeks later, uh, the the American producers of Hoop, because they produce Avenue Q and Rent, they were in London. I went and sang for them. Three months later, I was on a plane going to New York to, to do a nine-month tour of Rent. It was mental. That is surreal. Yeah, I did, it, it was very unexpected and completely changed my life. And it gave me my joy back for theatre. It made me happy again to be on stage because I'd, obviously I'd seen Rent was a massive turning point for me. More so than Sister Act 2. <laughs> <laughs> so at that point, you'd got through the cancer. Did that change how you approached the show? You know, yeah. It's quite an angsty part. It's very angsty. And whilst, you know, I had cancer and, and Roger had had AIDS, there was, of course, there were the similarities that massively I was able to to, to, to draw on that allowed me to really go to town with, uh, with that part. And Rent's such an interesting piece because the music is so good and it's, and it's so brilliant. But amidst, I think sometimes as a, as a listener or as, a, as an audience member, you know, you can get swept away with, there's, there's so much joy in Rent, there's so much joy in it. And there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of heartache as well. But the music is so uplifting. Even a lot of the angsty songs make you feel so good. You really have to remember who those people were and why Jonathan Larson wrote Rent because his friends were dying like that was that was the reality of what was happening and they do a thing called the Peasants Feast for every new Rent company and so I got to go to it was Jonathan Larson's ex-girlfriend she hosts a lot of them and so she basically comes and she meets the entire group she gets pizza and, and she basically brings all of this early writings and early recordings that Jonathan made, as well as videotapes and stuff. So we all sat around this TV eating pizza, listening to these stories, absorbing what this show was. And my God, the rehearsals the next day were like a completely different ball game. It was such a, had such a massive effect on you personally and and obviously because of what I'd gone through, it just made me feel so much more engaged with the piece and, and just to want to do the best job that I possibly could. And then to do the tour and then for, you know, Michael Grimes to take me off the tour and ask me to come and do it on Broadway at the Nederlander was, again, just this mental, beautiful, beautiful time that I'll never forget. When you're touring around all these amazing American venues, was that just the bonus, really? You'd worked in London, you'd been in Coventry. Was that the most you'd ever travelled? Well, no, because when I was in a band when I was 18, we travelled a lot with them. So I was I was really lucky at 18 to see a lot of the world, which was cool. But I'd never, I'd not really toured America. So I'd been to LA and I'd been to New York um, on a holiday, like when I was a kid, went to like Disneyland and stuff. But I'd never seen Seattle or Chicago or Minneapolis or any of these places and it's weird because they they do they get a bit samey after a while you see them all in all these American cities just they're, they're all these grids it's all like based on you know all the cities kind of based on the same structure it's like going to 15 different Milton Keynes yes exactly it's exactly what it's like it's a perfect analogy um, we did a mix of, of some slightly smaller venues as well as well as the bigger bigger theatres but again, you know, I, I just met some wicked people of just lifelong lifelong mates, yeah. And then to go and be the penultimate Broadway Roger. 
Uh, yeah. Was that just mental? Yeah, it was ridiculous. It, sound, it just sounds silly even talking about it because I can't, I can't it's really... It's 10 years ago. It's 10 years ago and it's just, you know, some, some lad from Cov, <laughs> excuse the pun, that was, you know, my old kind of musical name, yeah. It, it just, it still feels strange. It feels strange to me that that happened and particularly the first time I went on at the Nederlander because I was on standby for... Okay. Because uh, Anthony Rapp and um, Adam Pascal had come back for six weeks. And they obviously had done so well, they extended them for four weeks. So they put, it was me and the Mark from the tour, amazing guy called Harley J, who's a really good friend of mine. We were on standby for four weeks in New York City. So we're sitting there and we're going, we're never gonna go on. It's never gonna happen. And I get a call, Adam's off and you're on. I, put, I was, excuse me, what? <laughs> this is not happening. I am not making my Broadway <laughs> debut as Roger and Wren opposite Anthony Rapp and a bunch of other amazing people who, who were in the show at that time. And there was a bunch of girls outside the Nederlander weeping into their tickets because it had said that Adam was going to be off. And I just thought, oh my God, this is, it, it was like jumping into a fire that what? I didn't want to jump into. What is going through your mind when you are standing there singing One Song Glory on Broadway for the first time? Complete fear. Complete fear. I would love to be able to say, having done the show for nine months previously, and I was so connected to the character that I just really, you know, embraced this opportunity and became the best Roger that I could possibly be. And it would be a big fat lie. I was absolutely terrified, naturally, because it was so unexpected that I also felt really unprepared because I hadn't been doing the show for, it, it had been a while, you know, we'd, we'd taken some time off after the tour and then we went back in and we did this four week standby. So it, it felt like I was really being, thrown into something insane but I got through it man I got through it and then had a, had a epic nine months when you finished that I guess the closing had probably been announced by that point did that take you by surprise that it was closing yeah not it didn't take me by surprise that it was closing it felt a little bit sad because it had lived at the Nederlander for then it, it would have been 12 years when it closed there was something really special about being there for that moment because I was there when they came and told everyone that the show was closing. So there was just there's something in that building, as I'm sure any show that's been going for ten plus years, the minute they get the notice saying that, that something's closing, this I mean it's lived in, you know, that entire building. Some of the people in there, like the costume and the makeup people have been there since day one. And particularly with that show, the people that were involved in it and everything that happened around Jonathan and his passing and the people that had been in and out of those doors, it was a huge end of an era and I, I just felt mad privileged to be, in, to be in that place, yeah. And then to come home and do once. What did you do in between? I did American Idiot. Oh, of course, sorry, no, that, yes. was, my next, that was what I was meant to ask yeah, next. Yeah. You did American Idiot on Broadway. Was yeah. that just go from one rock musical to the next? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, because I had some friends who I'd done the rental with, uh, the MD in particular, and then you know, New York, the whole Broadway scene is such a small, it feels so much smaller than London, weirdly. It feels very, everyone feels very connected. But at that point, there was, there was workshops going on. At the time, it was called the Undisclosed Green Day Musical Theatre Project. And so it was all very hush-hush and nobody knew what was going on. And I met Michael Mayer through a friend of mine who was looking for people with that kind of voice to be part of this kind of undisclosed project. So... We basically went into a studio, a recording studio in New York, and me and 15 other people, boys and girls, and we learnt the whole of American Idiot. 
and this was before the band had said anything and, and then they came in and, and the Green Day sat in front of us and we just sang American Idiot at them and they cried and went go ahead <laughs> do it it's all, it's all yours and then that began our, began our whole other amazing journey were you there for the whole run? yeah so we did we rehearsed in New York and then we went we did a, a little pre-thing uh, at Vassar in the, the college upstate in New York and then we all flew out to Berkeley and we opened it in Berkeley, California and then we came back and did it on Broadway for just over a year. So did you get to perform at the Tonys with that? No, because I broke my ankle oh, uh, in during the show. That's the worst timing. Yeah, How I was sat happen? side of stage in, on, on crutches watching the Tony Awards oh, happen. Oh, yeah. how did you do it? It happened in the show. So what the, the these huge big metal staircases that were pushed around mm-hmm. and the dancing was so high octane anyway and I slipped while I was dancing oh. and one of the uh, one of the staircases came and crunched over my ankle and uh, and my mum was watching that and that same and night she'd flown nights. over she'd flown over from Carver to see the show which I remember saying afterwards because they had to go out and get her there was no interval in America it was like straight oh, through course, yeah, yeah. so they had to they went and, they went and got her because obviously she saw me in the first 20 minutes and then just thought oh maybe he's not really in much of this show and she came back and I had ice all over my thing and I was on my ankle and next thing I went to hospital and she was just like, what are you, what are you doing, mate? Come on. Oh, that's so unlucky. <laughs> yeah. I forgot there was no interval in that because I saw it at the Hammersmith Apollo when they brought the American touring cast over. Oh, yeah. And they shoehorned an interval in. Yeah. It was weird. They want to sell drinks, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I think it was more the venue than the, uh, than oh, the yeah. production. And then you came back and did once. Yes. So that was that was the first time you'd been in the West End in something like 10, 11 years? Something like that, yeah. Um, yeah, since Taboo. So you were, it was like proper grown-up time. Proper grown-up. And throughout my time in New York, you know, I'd been releasing albums of my own material and writing a lot and playing with my band. So once just felt like every part of my artistic body came together and and my heritage and where I'm from and it all it all came together and all these boxes got ticked and what a beautiful show I know I loved it gorgeous um, so the accent came easily then if it was yeah kind of, well I mean having said that I think it, it I mean it took me a while to get there's so many different accents in and around Dublin I think when we opened in Dublin, I think I got some really shady reviews about my accent. But oh, really? I was like, oh, well, never mind. And then you come back to London and then finally, I've, and then I got it. I was like, oh, okay, there it is. Yeah, because my family are either from up north or they're from the, from the other end. Right. Yeah, so I got there in the end. And the chemistry you had with Drinker was just incredible. Thank you. How long did it take you to establish that relationship? Not long at all. Not long at all. She'd been cast before me. Right. And then I was living in New York and then I flew over just before Christmas to meet her and John. And oh, I'd already been auditioning for John in New York. So they flew me back to London and we had a day, I think it was a day, a day or two days of me and her working together to see if it, if, if it was a good fit. And just from the minute we met, it was just this lovely, she's epic. She's such a fun, fun human being to, to be around. And her voice just yeah. shattered that building. And every... she's just dead. She's dead sexy. She's dead cool. She's really, she's fun. She's she's just got this thing about her. She's a star. You know what I mean? She's she's really got this star quality, which is dead exciting when you to be another actor to be around somebody like that who isn't a 
you know, a wanker if I'm allowed to say that on your podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can. Okay, great. You know, because you can get people like that and you just go, well, you're just a bit of a tosser. And she's not. She, she, just, she just emanates just like wicked little birds. It's lovely. And that scene when you're on the top and the start. It's still, I mean, oh, come on. It just broke me. Yeah, breaks everyone. Just, it's just them little ideas. Once was full of, it's what John Tiffany does best. John taps into your imagination and lets you use it. That beautiful simplicity. Yeah. And then you went to do EastEnders. Yeah. Was that a conscious, I want to do that, or did it sort no. of come out of the blue? No, it came out of the blue. It was the producers had seen me in once, and then they approached my agent and said, we've got this character coming up, what does he think? And I didn't know at the time. I, 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 was, I was surprised, I, didn't, I did not see that coming a mile off. And so I toiled about it, to be honest, for, for a bit. I was a bit like, wow, that seems like a real curveball to make, kind of career-wise. But kind of like what we were talking about earlier on, when you, I felt like I'd become the guitar guy, I'd become, I was the go-to and I enjoyed that and I enjoyed doing it, but I was, I was doing, there was a similarity between a lot of stuff that I was doing. So I thought, what happens if you take everything that you think you know you are and fuck it up against a wall and see what and see what happens. So that's basically what I did. That's what it, it felt like a real put this together, throw it against the wall, to see if it sticks. And it worked. It worked. I mean, it worked. And and I I went in. I had a, a bit of a, a mad time for a year and a half, and then said my goodbyes and was like, sayonara, see you later. Fair enough. Yeah. Would it be fair to say, in theatrical circles, your best and biggest part has been Jesus? <laughs> He's probably the most famous character I've played. <laughs> Let's say yeah, that. Yeah, that show was incredible. To get to do it twice—that's so rare. Yes, yeah, so, super rare. I did, we we didn't expect the second year to come round. I think I think we all thought, yeah, oh, yeah, this is so good. Everyone's brilliant. We be all transfer straight to the West End. We're gonna, you know have a beautiful run in the West End and, and that didn't happen after the first year. Did it nearly happen? Because I heard rumours. There was, there was talk about it, yeah. There, there, was, there was talk about it, but as, you know, to, to be boring and political about it, transferring shows is a lot more difficult than it sounds. It's, it's about the venue, and, and for that show, particularly transforming something from the, that's done outside in the park and the size of the show, it has to have a very specific, the design, everything. You have to have a very specific space. You know, yes, we could have done it at the Union, but we thought it's too small. <laughs> too fair, it kind of would have worked if you, if on a smaller scale. On a really tiny scale, Jesus would just be the only character. Yeah. <laughs> that production was so different to every other way it had ever been done. How did you find that in rehearsals when, you know, when you're playing Gethsemane on your own, for yourself? Yeah. Does that impede your ability to sort of be in the headspace or does it, do you think it helps? No, it just, it helped if anything, yeah. I just got the loveliest piece of direction from Tim Shida from day one and he just said you're definitely going to play the guitar uh, when you do Gethsemane and I want you to sing and perform Gethsemane as, as though you wrote it <sighs> great sound that's all I needed it's not, it's not very often that you get that, f that amount of freedom yeah particularly with, with something from a show of that calibre that's been around for a long time. Because no one had heard it like that before. No. I was sitting there going, oh, this is different. Yes, yeah, totally. And I think it, 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 was, it was a bit 50-50, you know. I think, I think the more slightly modern, open-minded, free-thinking people of the world were like, yeah, I, I can get on board with that. 
I think some of the more old-fashioned know this is how Jesus sounds and this is how Jesus should sound. And it's not 1973 mm, nah, Yeah, exactly. But you're always, you know, if I'm doing a good job, if I'm splitting opinion. There will always be purists. Yes. How did you find that? Did, did you just sort of go home and just play around and sort of work out? Yeah, yeah, just, you know, you got my head around the chords, got my head around the, the structure of the song. And then obviously it was different because when I first started working on it, it was just me and, and it was a, a kind of acoustic version. And then once you start throwing strings and brass and all the other instruments involved, then it starts to take on another life. And if I'm honest, it took on its own life every single night, but just because of the very nature of the part and the nature of the role and that particular part in the show. You know, you can see the guitar that I use here in Striking 12 has a massive hole in it, which happened on stage in Jesus Christ Superstar because I, I got so into Gethsemane one night that I punched a hole in my guitar. So, so yeah, that's, it was stuff like that. When you're working on a show like that or you're working on a, on a role like that, which I, I'm quite lucky to say that about most of them, another energy kicks in and another, another thing takes over that you, and just run with it. You said earlier, you mentioned you're writing your own musical, is that right? Yes, piece of, yeah, it's a, it's a piece of gig, like music theatre, called An Innocent Evening of Drinking. Can you divulge any of that? Um, bits and bobs. Funnily enough, it's, 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 uh, it's a bit kind of self-autobiographical about my time in London and then moving to New York and then coming back and the cancer and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a an autobiographical story, shall we say, with, and I've written all the music. I've got an amazing uh, director and collaborator called Phil Griffin, who's a great photographer. He's a brilliant video director. He went on with Amy Winehouse and the Dallin, people like that. He's done all the visuals. So it's a very visual piece of theater with this kind of banging live music as well. Is that gonna be on anywhere soon? To watch the space. Okay, we will. And when is Striking 12 on till? December the 23rd. And the last question is the one I ask everyone is if you could pick any revival to do and the part to play in it, what would you choose? Oh, what do you think, guys? <laughs> so the cast are milling around now. Hello. For the people are. Thank you for being so quiet. <laughs> yeah, the stars of 18 now. Um, a revival, oh God. That is a hard question. Can I do like a gender swap situation, like like Always. with company? Yeah, I think I'd quite like to play like Kim in Miss Saigon. That'd be quite fun. <laughs> That's quite a stretch. Well, well, yeah, it is a stretch, but you know. Would you change the setting? Would you do it like I'd with be the called, American I'd be called thing? Kevin. Okay. Would you do yeah. it like with the parents and siblings separated in America, sort of? Oh, I don't know. That could I work. mean, to be fair, it's had quite a new. It has been revived quite quite recently, hasn't it? I think that's a good answer. Yeah, I like Mr. it, yeah. Mr. Coventry. Yeah, let's stay with that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fab, well, thank you. You're welcome. And thank you to everyone else in the <laughs> Striking 12 is on at the Union Theatre in Southwark until this Sunday, the 23rd of December. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening to this and just tap subscribe to have the next one automatically download on your phone. Next time on the podcast, we're going backstage with Gemma Sutton, who's playing Aladdin in this year's Hackney Empire pantomime. And that will be the last episode of the year. But I've already got some very exciting names lined up for you in 2019. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.